Uh, hi, my name's Brad. For those of you I don't know, good to meet you. Uh, for those of you I do know, hey. Uh, my, my hero growing up was Nolan Ryan. How many people know who Nolan Ryan is? Yes. I'm going to say best pitcher of all time. Better than this Felix guy down, down the street. Seven no-hitters, 5,000 strikeouts, sports metaphor. Those of you who don't like sports ball, we'll be back in a minute. He is just, he was the best. And so growing up, I would watch film and video of Nolan Ryan. I would look at his windup, and though I wasn't a pitcher, I would try to emulate it. Uh, I wanted his number, 34, the Ryan Express. I wanted to be Nolan Ryan. I read that he threw, uh, uh, for practice when he was growing up, he had a tire and he would throw through the tire from way far away to, throw, to test his accuracy. So I go home, I say, Dad, I'd like a tire. <laughs> and I'd like it hung in the front yard. And my dad looks at me and goes, how about some duct tape on the garage? <laughs> Deal. And so I would sit there and I would, or stand there, and I would throw the ball and try to hit the duct tape from a long ways away. Wasn't very good at it. But Nolan Ryan was my hero. Nolan Ryan made it so that I would practice more in baseball. Made it so that I would be a better ball player. One time, Nolan Ryan and the Rangers came to play the Angels. Dad took me, and we saw him pitch. And he's coming down the warning track uh, before the game starts, and I'm sitting there, little Brad. I was little once. And I have the ball, and he takes the ball, and he signs it, gives it back to me. Highlight of my life. It was awesome. We saw his last game at Angel Stadium. He was who I looked up to, who I emulated. He was my hero. Heroes are like that. Heroes, uh, when you look at them, they call you to step up your game. Who was your hero? How did they, when you looked at them, you wanted to be better at what you did. That's what made them heroic. So when we look at Deborah in Judges, we're not just looking at a character in Scripture. We're looking at a hero. She essentially was the very first Wonder Woman. She was a head of state. She was a leader of the religious community. She was a mother of Israel. She had everything. She was a leader in all senses of the word. And when we look at her life, what we discover in her life are the qualities needed for each one of us to live fully into what God is calling us to. When we look at Deborah, she causes all of us to up our game. She is a hero. But to understand Deborah... To look at this picture a little bit more, we need to understand the time that Deborah lived. It was the time of judges. It was a time after Israel had settled into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Remember that, it'll come back. The land of milk and honey. They they, they move in, they divide the land into 12 areas for the 12 tribes, and they're living. There's no king. It's been 400 years. Everybody is doing what they thought was right, which what can go wrong, right? There's no one in charge. Everyone just does what they want to do for 400 years. Well, there's this cycle that happened. And we have a a catchy slide up. This is what happened. This happens all through the book of Judges and basically all through the Old Testament. The people, they start on the top of it when, when they're in between God delivering and the rebellion. It's this time where everything was good. Uh, and then complacency sets in and then they rebel I don't know what word that is. Use your imaginations. I don't talk like that. Then they come down, and then once they've rebelled, 
God removes his protection from Israel, and he says it several times in Judges. In Judges 21, 25, it says, the people did however they pleased because there was no king. And when they did that, God removed the protection and the surrounding countries, whether it be Canaan or other countries in the area, would come in and take over. Then they felt that, uh, that oppression, and then they switch over, and then they realize someone calls them back, and it points out all the places in which they have been living improperly, and calls them back, and then they repent. If my people are called upon my name, would humble me and pray and repent, I will heal, heal their land, it says in Chronicles. When they repented, then God would send a deliverer, in this case, Deborah, we have other judges like Samson and Gideon all through the book of Judges. That's why it's called Judges. All through the book of Judges, and then they would deliver. And then they would be fine for about 40 years. Then they would grow complacent. And then they would rebel. They would say those words. And then they, God would remove protection. It goes over and over and over. And this is the time where Deborah lived. Now, this is also a picture of our lives. Because we have these cycles. We get complacent, and when we're complacent, that means we think that we're doing okay, and we start doing things our own way, and then we rebel because complacency is a nice way to get to rebellion. Rebellion is simply doing things your own way without honoring God, and then we, God removes protection, and it goes on and on. This just doesn't happen to Israel. This happens to us. This is the time when Deborah lived It was the time when she stepped in and called the people back to Israel. Deborah exemplifies for us in this chaotic cycle, God calls her. And through her life, we can can learn four truths that are significant to her calling and to our calling. The first one is that Deborah was called to lead. Her name in Hebrew, Deborah, a Deborah in Hebrew, it's Devorah. A Devorah in Hebrew is a bee. As in a honeybee, as in those things that sting you and go flower to flower. Honeybees make what? Honey. They make honey not for themselves. They make honey for other people. Or if you're in my house, we call honey bear jelly. Because one time we were out of jelly and Judah wanted toast with jelly. And we didn't have any. And he was watching a show called Masha and Bear. And Bear was eating honey. And so I said, do you want bear jelly? And he goes, yeah, bear jelly. <laughs> honey is bear jelly. That's what we call it. But it, it, it's always meant for other people. So right from the beginning, the name of Deborah tells us something. She is doing well. She is doing good for the people of Israel. Right from the beginning, Everything she was doing was embodying the life of a leader. Leaders have influence. If you don't have influence, you're not a leader. Influence creates a movement. Deborah, verse 4. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth is a Hebrew word for candle maker. It means wick maker, person who makes candles. That was her wife, his, his, her husband. That was her husband, Lapidoth. And when they made the candles, she convinced them, the rabbis say, to make candles to light the tabernacle so that people can worship and read the Torah in the dark and at night. Make candles. So she influenced. Not only did she influence there. In verse 6, one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinam, 
who lived in Kadesh, the land of Naphtali, and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you to do. She was influencing Barak. Barak was a general in the day. He oversaw all of Israel's army, all 12 of their armies combined. And Deborah influences him and says, this is what God is calling you to do. And he listened. So leaders have influence. Deborah has influence. Deborah was wise. The other part of the honey that comes from Deborah, she's wise. In verse 4, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, who was a prophet judging Israel at the time, she would sit under the palm of Deborah. This is another Deborah that was back in Genesis 22, under her palm named after her between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Deborah sat under a palm tree on a hill. People would go and they would see what she was doing. They would gather around. She met with people one-on-one. People came to her for her wisdom. And she would be having a conversation with somebody and what she was saying would be overheard by everybody around. She had influence. She had wisdom. Her advice was spread. People would come to her and line up for her judgments. She would call people back to God. Her wisdom that she had, her influence, her wisdom led to her authority. In verse 6, she says to Barak, or Barak, who lived in Kadesh, take 10,000 of your warriors from the tribes of Nephtali, from Zebulun and Mount Tamor, and I will call you, and I will call out Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots. And warriors. So she's saying her, her authority over the general, saying, This is what you're going to do. She was the head of state. She was the commander in chief. She says to the generals, This is what we're going to do. Get your men ready. We're going to go to battle. She had influence. She had authority. She had wisdom. Deborah, in all senses of the word, was a leader. And she wasn't just a leader over children or just women. Let's not pretend or take away what she was actually leading. Deborah was a woman leader of the nation of Israel. She had influence, wisdom, and authority. Here's where it gets weird. Stay with me. When I see this, it's easy to look at and go, women, women can lead. Women can have authority, and not just in little tiny doses, but in the larger places, not just in the church but all the way through the boardroom and everywhere in between, women are called to lead in positions, in palaces, in homes, in in executive rooms, in everywhere women can lead. And not just in leadership in the small places, but throughout history, we've taken various scriptures and singled them out and said that women have limits on what they can do and cannot do. Much of this is based on a passage in 1 Timothy 2.11. It says, women should learn quietly and submissively. Don't throw anything at me. <laughs> I do not let women teach or have authority over, over, over men or have authority over them. They listen quietly. This is where we get this passage and we think, hey, women, you, don't, you just shh, sit over there. You don't get to lead. We take this passage, we single it out, and we miss the broader scope of what Scripture says about women in leadership. What we should be doing, and whenever a passage like this comes to the forefront, is you take it out, and you're always compelled to dig a little bit deeper than what you see. 
always look around and see how other women were used in the breadth of scripture and see what Paul is doing here. Is he writing a law or a a, a practice that is just centered on what's happening in Timothy and Ephesus? Or is this a universal command that he's giving? And I think when we look at 1 Timothy a little closer, it's not a universal, it is a specific Because when you look in Romans chapter 16, there's a woman who's an apostle. An apostle is a person of authority. Her name is Junia. And then in Acts, Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team, offer corrective uh, counsel to a man named Apollos. So we have two women there. And women were the first to inform the disciples that Jesus had risen. They didn't believe them. They had to go see for themselves. Then... Paul uses a woman named Lydia to launch his church in Philippi. God called Deborah to be a commander, prophetess, and judge. And it's not only Deborah in the Old Testament. There's women like Huldah in 2 Kings, Miriam in the Exodus. There's women like Sarah, Hannah, Abigail, Esther. Anna is another woman mentioned in Luke chapter 1 who was a prophetess in the temple who was awaiting the Messiah's birth. In Acts 2, Philip's daughters had the gift of prophecy. There were women leaders in Corinth. Over and over through scripture, when you look at the entire breadth of scripture, you see God using women to lead, not just sit back quietly. So when we look at Deborah, we see a woman who joins into this this whole stream of women who are leaders. All of these women, leaders. All of them called and honored God by going to lead. So... One thing we know for certain is that First Timothy, that is not something that covers everybody at all times. It is a specific command to Paul giving Timothy advice on what to do in that situation. We can go into that whole situation a little later. Today's not the day. But God calls women everywhere and anywhere to lead. It's not a way of softening scripture to make it easy uh, for our culture to take. It's not a way of of raising one or proof texting. This is, a, this is something that we see throughout. So what does this have to do with us, right? What's this have to do with our callings? The first is this, don't place limits on yours. Don't place limits on what God is calling you to do based upon your gender. Let's make it wider than that. Don't place limits on what God is calling to you to do based upon your fill in the blank. If God calls you to do something, Go. Don't instantly come up with an excuse on why you can't. If God is calling you, the word can't isn't in your vocabulary. If God is calling you to do something, he'll empower you to lead. He'll empower you to live through your calling. Will it be easy? No. But easy isn't the point. God calls each one of us into places where we will go and always rely on his power. So if you're called, don't make an excuse on why you can't. Go. It also means, secondly, about about your calling, don't limit the call of God on other people. Oftentimes we say someone will come to you with the truth and you will dismiss it away that this person isn't empowered by God. False. Don't do that. If God has called somebody, don't limit their calling. If God is using someone, don't get in their way. I wonder and I fear 
how many people remain in bondage over a, over, over a particular specific issue because they didn't listen to God's call on their life that came through somebody else. If God is calling someone, don't ignore them. God uses people of all sorts. In Numbers 22, he used a donkey to talk to a person. Look it up. A donkey talked to Balaam. He might be using a donkey this morning. <laughs> there are all aspects to Deborah's leadership that can, that, that can assist in, in, in our leading. The first one is that don't doubt your calling. If you are called, Go. The second aspect to Deborah's leadership was that she was called to serve. Or if you want to put it this way, Deborah was Deborah acted. She got busy, she got moving. If you think you're called to lead, you're called to action. Some of us think that when we think of leaders, it means that you just sit in your lofty office behind your name-plated window and you just sit there and do nothing. That's not leadership. That's that's something completely different. Leadership is action. Leadership is getting your hands dirty. Leadership is serving. Servant leadership is what we call it. Leaders are called to act. Leaders do more than talking about acting. Leaders lead. Commentators talk. How many of you watched the Masters last week? The commentators, okay, the four of us. We were intrigued. These commentators sit in this booth way up high on top of the holes, and they watch the golf, and they just tell you what they're doing. They're not golfers. They're not golfing. They're guessing. They're commentators. They might have played golf 30 years ago, but they can't play today. Commentators comment. Leaders lead. And so what we see here in in Judges is Deborah isn't a commentator. She's a leader. She moves. In verse 2, the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in that place, Herosheth Hagoim. Wow. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they, they cried to the Lord for help. Canaan was a brutal brutal army and what they would do was they would pick off the the small villages in the northern part of Israel and they would go and raid and they would just go village to village they had what the equivalent was in our day of a tank it's the beginning of the bronze age that we're looking at here and they would have these chariots with these big wheels and they would cover the chariots in iron and they would just mow through people and so Israel was afraid of these chariots as you should be. They're unstoppable. Arrows wouldn't work. And so Canaan was a brutal, brutal army. And is in Judges, you see Deborah, she's had enough of it. And she's moved to do something about it. A key to finding our calling in our lives is the places that move you most. Deborah looks at the, her nation and sees that this is moving her. This is bothering her. This is making her mad that Israel is having to live like this. They would go hide in the hills where the chariots couldn't get to it. And so Deborah is angry. She's heartbroken. And it lights her fire to do something about this. We're wondering where your calling is. What makes you the most angry? What do you look at in society and go, that just ticks me off. And I can't take it. What, what do you look at and your heart breaks? 
what do you look at and you feel the most brokenness? When you're trying to figure out what God is calling you to do, you take your compassion, your vision, and your frustration, and where they collide is probably where God is calling you to action. And for Deborah, it was stopping the Canaanites. Deborah illustrates this. She gets going, and so she sends for Barak. She says, come here, we're going to do something about this. I will lead, I will call out Sisera, and he's going to come, and we're going to do battle. But Barak, Barak is a commentator. If you read on in Judges, what you'll see is he starts saying, but I'll go only if you go with me. They have tanks. Honestly, I'd probably do the same thing as Barak here. Wouldn't you? Tanks? They just mow through people? I don't have one, so why am I going to fight? But he starts naming every single reason on why they shouldn't go to battle here. He starts commentating. And he says, I'll only go if you go with me. Leaders roll up their sleeves. Commentators talk about rolling up their sleeves. Leaders see a problem and say, we're going to step into this and fix this problem. Commentators will list every single problem and every single way that you can fix the problem, but never really get into it. Don't mistake commentators for leaders. They're not leaders. They're Monday morning quarterbacks. Well, if he would have passed it here, we would have won the Super Bowl. Well, if he would have done this, you could have done that. Those are commentators. Those aren't people actually in the action. When I take my car to the mechanic, one of the most frustrating things is I'll take it in and a mechanic will tell me everything that's wrong with my car, even the stuff I didn't bring it in for. I don't need more information. My car's not working here. Fix it. Don't tell me more about it. I want a mechanic that is going to jump in and say, I'll fix it. The reason I brought this car to you, Mr. Mechanic, is because I can't fix it by myself. I need your help. YouTube doesn't tell me how to do this one. Fix this. Don't tell me more about something I know. Deborah is saying, we're going to go take out Canaan. And Barak says, I'll only go if you go. I'm scared. I know about their chariots. I'm afraid. And Deborah says, fine, we're going to go, but because you want me to go with you, you're not going to get the credit for this one. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so Deborah went with Kadesh. The key words there, she went with. All through scripture, we see a God who steps in to be with us. Jesus steps in to be with his disciples. He goes with his disciples everywhere. His disciples go with him. The thing that we see through scripture is God moving heaven and earth to be with us. Deborah goes with. She gets her hands dirty. Jesus goes with us, says, anywhere you go, I will go with you. I'm going to get my hands dirty with this one. Deborah leads. She goes with them. And as Barak advanced, the 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 uh, the army of Sisera was crippled and they got out of their chariots. Their chariots couldn't, couldn't move anymore and they ran away and Barak was chasing Sisera. And in verse 15, it says, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and an army by the sword and Sisera got down from his chariots and fled on foot. From here, the story gets pretty R-rated for violence. Uh, so if, it, if it's hard for you to read it, I understand Um, we're going to read it. (laughs) Jael, 
went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my Lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So she entered, so he entered her tent and covered him with a blanket. He said, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. So she opened up some milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. If you were to read on in, in Judges chapter 5, it gives a little bit more biography of, of who Sisera was. He had a habit of abusing women. When he would go into town, he would rape and pillage wherever he went. So Sisera was a woman abuser. And he's in Jael's tent. Jael knows about Sisera, gives him milk. Sisera says in verse 20, stand by the doorway. He told her, if someone comes by and asks you if anyone is here, say no. Jael, Herber's wife, because we all know who Herber is, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. The violence there is kind of hard to swallow. Violence there portrayed, uh, it doesn't mean that we censor it or avoid it or ignore that it's there. It's there. The violence that's here is, pers- is not prescriptive of how we should do things. It's descriptive of what, what happened. But there is something that we could take away from this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul says this in verse 3. For we live in a world, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine powers to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your, once your obedience is complete. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we have a struggle and it's not against the things of this age, of this day, that tangible things that we struggle with. We struggle against principalities and authorities, against powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We are living in a battle. We are living in a battle that's trying to get us. We are stuck in the middle of a battle between God and Satan. We can ignore that kind of stuff all through scripture, but it's there. We're stuck in this battle. There is evil in this world, and we do our best to explain it away. We do our best to comment about it, to talk about all the evils. We don't need to talk more about it. We know it's there. Enough commentators. What God is looking for is people to pick up a tent peg and go to, go to work against it, to do something about the injustice, to move instead of talking about moving, not to comment, but to lead. We need to act with the same confidence that Deborah and Jael act with, to do battle with our enemies that, that enslave us, that oppress us, that steal from us, knowing in full well confidence that God gives us the ability and the authority to give us victory. So we get our hands dirty, because that's what leaders do. They act, they serve, they move. We don't give up because the enemy is strong. We don't give up because it's going to be hard. We don't give up because that habit is too entrenched in our lives. We don't talk about about being better. We become better and we start doing things. God's got enough people to comment on the things that are wrong in the world. He's not looking for more of that. He's looking for us to move, to serve. He's looking for leaders. And if you're a leader, you're called to move, not simply talk about moving. Deborah moved. She moved with the confidence of God. 
And she goes out and takes on Sisera, a mighty army. Then after she moves, after they act and they're victorious, Deborah sings. So we're going to sing. I'm kidding. I'm not going to sing for you today. There's something with singing in the scriptures. In scriptures, whenever God moves in mighty ways, it's always followed by a song. When the people of Exodus in Exodus chapter 3 cross the Red Sea, they get to the other side. They see uh, Pharaoh's army get demolished. Miriam, one of the women who were prophets and leaders in that day, starts leading a song with a tambourine, and she sings. Deborah sings in chapter 5. It's a whole thing about her song. Uh, Luke In Luke 1, when Mary is told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, she has what's called Mary's song. In all of these songs, and there's more throughout Scripture, in these three songs, uh, like music today, they kind of riff off of each other. There's the same melody that's present in all of them. There's the same kind of bridge that's in all of them. And it goes like this. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. The chorus is all about God's confidence. It's not a confidence saying, look what I did, everybody. I did this. Nope, it's look what God has done and look how God used me to do this. God won the war. It's always reflecting back on him. But Deborah's song is a little bit unique in that she she does say, look what God has done. But when you go to chapter five, she talks about those people who didn't go, who stayed on the sidelines. In the last part of verse 15 in chapter five, in the districts of Reuben, There was much searching of heart, so there were people who were thinking about acting. In verse 16, why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. All she's saying is, look what God has been doing, and look at you, Reuben, Asher, Dan. You missed out on this. You stood on the sidelines, and you thought about getting involved, but you never did. You're great commentators. You could describe the situation, but you didn't come in. What's this mean for us? When God's calling you to do battle with something, whether it's external or whether it is internal. Move. Do things. Don't sit on the sidelines. God wants to rid you of the places of death in your life, the places that are holding you captive. He wants to bring life to those places, life to the places of the hidden addiction, the hidden habits, on your spending, on your anger, on your fear. He wants you to do work on those. Don't stand by and miss what God is trying to do in you. There's a dark side to these verses. Here's a great battle. But a lot of these people don't go to battle. They're content living in their broken places. How many of us find ourselves very content to sit on the sidelines of God's call? How many of us are are willing just to ignore and move on and miss out on what God is doing. We long to see God move, but when it boils down, God is longing to see you move. 
God is longing you to get up and join the fight instead of making excuses or procrastinating or ignoring. He says, move forward with confidence. There's a picture of this in in the first part of Joshua. They're moving into the land, and there's this huge river called the Jordan River. It's that flood season. That means it's, it's, it's bigger than expected. It's a rapid and, and God says to them, you want to take the river, I'm going to stop the river, but in order for you to get through the river, I'm going to ask your priest to get waist deep in the rapids. God says, you will move, and then once everybody is in the river, I'll stop the water. Many of us sit on the banks of the Jordan River, and we know that God is telling us to get in there, to get through there. He wants to do mighty things, but many of us are willing to sit on the bank and let the river pass us by. Today, God says, get in the river, get in the game, get in the ring. It's time for you to move. It's time for you to act. And the last part about Deborah is that she was called to be a mother, not in the mother of, uh, of children, not having a family. We don't know much about what kind of family she had, but, but called in the, in the fact that she was to be a mother and give life to the people of Israel. Verse, uh, chapter five, verse seven. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God's call for us is that we take on aspects of being a mother too. That we go to these places and we bring forth life. We mother in that sense that we honor and we bring forth the life that's around there. We bring forth freedom, peace, creativity, healing, and so much more to the world around us. This is how Deborah was a mother. Because of Deborah, because of Jael, the last part of this, it says Israel experienced peace for 40 years. Israel was at rest. Deborah brought life back to the kingdom that was stuck in rebellion, brought life and wholeness. Deborah's name means honeybee. Jael gave Sisera milk, milk plus honey. The promised land in Exodus was known as the land flowing with milk and honey. It was a place of promise. It was a place of peace. It was a place of God's blessing. I don't think the symbolism is there on accident. I think it's very purposeful. Because she was a mother, because she was called, because she acted, the people were brought back to the land of milk and honey, of peace with God, the way that God had intended. Our callings get complicated. And usually when we think of our callings, when we always make it about a huge move or a career change, but that's not what we see here. Sometimes your callings are as simple as, what are you going to do in the next minute you have? Sometimes your calling is, how are you going to be in this conversation with somebody? Sometimes your calling is a simple decision on whether you go or not. Yes, it includes large moves and career changes. That is an aspect to your calling. But each one of us is called to do something else. In Ephesians 2, it says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And here's your calling. Do good stuff. How simple is that? To do good things. That's what you're called to do. It's simple. Wherever you find yourself, do good things. Move. Act lead. I was talking with Carrie about this yesterday. We, we took Judah up to a play place because he's been inside for like six days with the rain and he was getting a little crazy. 
And uh, as, I, as we're driving up, I say, Carrie, who was your hero growing up? And, and she, she said, first off, first hill, Faith Hill, the singer, and, and great, she's a wonderful singer. And then she thought for a little bit more and said, but the hero I had was a woman named Kim Klein. Uh, Kim Klein's actually my cousin. Uh, and, and I didn't know Kim growing up. She's like the fourth cousin of us. Uh, but Kim, Carrie said, did the little things around her, lived her life and honored God in front of Carrie and a bunch of her friends. That was Carrie's hero. The little things, the small things. When I think of other heroes in my life besides Nolan Ryan, I think of a man named Darren Higgins who said, come live in my house through the summer because I needed a place to stay. Didn't do anything major, charged me rent, that's about it. But he let me into his life and I saw everything and how Darren lived his life. And the little things like budgeting, paying the bills, how he treated his kids, how he honored his wife, how he balanced his job and his family life. The small things, that's your calling. That's what Deborah shows us. She was a leader in every sense of the word, but she showed us how to answer God's calling. How are you going to answer God's calling in your life? What's the little thing that God is calling you to do? If you don't answer the little things, God won't call you with the big things. Answer the little, little calls. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for another example of how you used people in this world to bring forth your plan. We thank you for women like Deborah, how she's an example for all of us of a leader, someone who led a nation, someone who led in, in the church, someone who led in battle. And through her, we can find out that we're called to. And so God, would you start rigging our phones for the little tiny things that we could be called to? May we begin to see with your eyes the people around us and how we're called to bring life into that situation. The smallest conversation, the little reaction, maybe even it's a smile to a person on the road. Lord, may we answer those calls. May we bring life to the world around us. In Jesus' name.